I'm Kevin Sullivan, and it's about time I'm coming to turn chuckle. Ha, 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 turn chuckle. Get it? Ha, 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 ha. You better listen, or I'll knock your door down. and welcome to another episode of Turn Chuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me is the New Japan Terry Gordy to my fabulous Freebirds Terry Gordy. It's Tempest. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, you, get, you get creative with these. <laughs> well, we're, we're running. Well, I don't know if we're running out. You've got to theme them somehow. So <laughs> That was a pretty, pretty creative theme. Well, having a tournament with like three Freebirds in, you know, you would. And not teaming them off. <laughs> Not even, yeah. Um, so uh, we're talking about Great American Bash 1992 today, and this is prime your territory. It certainly is, and it's one of those cases where, as you'll see, and it's why I want to do this as a companion piece to Beach Blast. This is why you can get too much of your own way. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, you've been watching the Saturday nights and every, and I've got to admit, I mean, I've talked about this during the, the Beach Blast 92 episode. It's kind of a weird thing that when I got into wrestling, I was, it was in this time period and, you know, there was WCW stuff everywhere, but I wasn't really watching it much. And out of all the time periods of WCW, 92, 93 is probably the period that I've seen the least of. Um, and it might just be, it, it, it's probably slightly um, discriminatory as a WWF fan, but like it just visually does, didn't appeal to me as much as like other periods of WCW. It'll get even less appealing as the Bill Watts period goes on as well. He was just like, what? Things can't look good. Well, it, it's, it's kind of, I mean, because we're going to get into all of this as well, but like the level of talent is incredible. And I feel bad that I'm not enjoying it as much as I should. Like, I feel like, you know... I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> it, you can end up feeling guilty. It's like you, you've referenced me watching the Saturday nights. It was a waste of time in terms of, like, as a build-up. Like, they were good as matches, but it's crazy after how episodic the Mid-South stuff was that I watched that he, he just seems to have come into the WCW and Bill Watts went, nah, fuck this, we don't need stories. Stories are for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Great American Bash in 1992, it, it seems like a Great American Bash in name only. Um, Aye. It doesn't like, have any of the vibe of one, and then there's like there's not a lot of horsemen <laughs> that are still left around or anything, is there? No, and it seems like, I mean, I know the Great American Bash tours that would lead on from the bash, you know, uh, would continue the feeds and everything, but it seemed almost like this bash was there to in a way, set up the tour because of, like, Ron Simmons and the Steiner brothers not having matches on the event, but wrestling on the tour. With the Steiners, um, I think it's more still just what's punishing Scott Steiner for how much he fucking hated him. Like, mm. I'll get into that during this show. But, yeah, that there are real issues with the way the talent are handled and booked for this. Mm. And, and it's uh, held on July the 12th, 1992. Uh, this is probably about as late as it gets in WCW for the Steiners, is it? 
Uh, yeah, they leave very shortly after that, and you can kind of understand why. Mm. Yeah, the um, the uh, event is held at the Al- Albany Civic Center, not in Albany, New York. Uh, thank God, because I think the crowd would have been even more dead by the end. <laughs> you know, what's funny there is this was originally going to be held in Philadelphia, and I can't remember exactly why it got changed. It was some reason, like quite late on, is why it's at Albany and Georgia instead. I would imagine cost cutting. I mean, Georgia's their, you know, their home area, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they're based in Atlanta, so that makes a bit of sense. But I don't know, like, I'm not sure. I don't think it was a cost cutting thing. I think it's something like a double booking or something like that. I'm sure that (laughs) there was the intention to actually get to Philadelphia. Oh, God. So, um, and a lot of WCW names are not on this card as well. So the, the format of this uh, pay-per-view is something that I'm not generally a fan of. It's a one-night tournament for the uh, NWA tag team titles. So what led us to having these unifications going on? This is one of the things I want to say. Like The things I love are like a more sports-based product. I love referencing like heritage and history. And I love tag team wrestling, so this should be like my absolute dream show. Uh-huh. And it's just so hard to get into. Like, I can't actually remember why the NWA tag team belts have just been brought back. I know that it was a decision that must have been in place before Watts came, because you already had the WCW belts, and then almost as soon as Watts actually took over, he has like a unification afterwards. Yeah, it it did seem to. I find this time period a little confusing with like sort of unifications and because it it wasn't like they got rid of the NWA tag team titles at that point. Even though they got rid of a different one though. Mm. They had the US tag team titles earlier this year, which were the ones that had still been around since like mid Atlantic and what have you since around 85. Yeah, they did. The Freebirds briefly had them and I can't remember who got them last, but. Watts deactivated them. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> um, and and considering the amount of tag teams that you've got as well, like you've got to say for like Jim Hurdy or WCW, Bill Watts or WCW, they have a legitimately great tag team division. And I oh, think it's ha- wonderful. And having two titles isn't the worst thing to do when you've got a division that big. Yeah, I think, and it's something that modern companies could benefit from. US tag team titles level tag belts are important. Like, for example, that would benefit AEW plenty at the minute when the tag belts are tied up in a really fucking long-term story with the young books where they're not dropping them. And then there's loads of tag teams and a good roster. It's like, have something that the team's on the level of, like, the Varsity Blondes and that are fighting over. Like, I always was a big fan of having a secondary tier tag belt because tag belts should be as important as the world belt and therefore have one underneath them as well. And there seems to be with AEW, there is a, a a ranking system, but do they have a ranking system for the tag teams? It's a good question. I don't know enough about it, really. I, I watch some of the shows, but I don't pay a lot of attention to behind the scenes and that, if that makes sense. 
Mm. And, and I mean, the a criticism that Vince McMahon always got was that he was never into tag team wrestling, even though his favourite teams were the, the Graham brothers. And he went out of his way to bring in teams like the LOD. But if you're missing tag team wrestling from WWF, fuck me, WCW goes overboard on this. <laughs> yeah, this is more than I needed. This is a fucking <laughs> overdose. Like, And it, some of it's the positioning, which we'll get to as the show goes on. Uh, but at the start, I wanted to give you Bill Watts's Ten Commandments. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah. Naturally, with them being made by Bill Watts, they're more complicated and there's actually more than fucking ten. But <laughs> these are Bill Watts' ten commandments. <laughs> oh. Commandment number dumb. I mean, one. <laughs> Use of the ring barricades and the ring post is forbidden and will also be cause for an automatic disqualification. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a bit boring, but not too bad. Number yeah. two. Wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. Well, it was always discouraged. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, get it in the ring. That's why illegal shit happens out there, mate. <laughs> this one is where it starts getting fucking raj. Yeah. Absolutely no low blows. First offence is a one grand fine. Second offence is a two and a half grand fine. Third offence is a five grand fine and is considered a breach of contract. If a wrestler is hit low, he is to make every effort not to sell the move as a low blow. So basically, if you get punched in the fucking dick, pretend you're either too hard to get dick pain or pretend you don't even have a dick or we'll fine you five grand, consider it a breach of contract, even though you're an independent contractor. And this this seems very illegal. Like, I can't imagine, wait a minute, I need to check my clauses for how many times I can be punched in the dick before I'm thrown out of this fucking workplace. Like, that's a crazy rule. Oh, so, so wait a minute. Uh, before you c- carry on with that, this is a shoot, Ten Commandments. This, isn't this a is a shoot. Thing. Right. <laughs> right, okay. Brilliant. <laughs> Number four. All wrestlers are due in the building one hour before the scheduled starting time of the show. Fine. Mm. With fines being implemented for being late of one grand for a first offence, two and a half grand for a second offence, five grand for a third, which is considered breach of contract. Imagine if you got punched in the dick and sold it and turned up late in the same day. <laughs> well, this is definitely an old Mid-South rule. This, um, like, Buddy Landell was considered the most fined wrestler in... You know, mid south history because of the amount of times he was late, and you know, uh, <laughs> I know a belter about no, it's not him. Sorry, it wasn't I know a Dick Murdoch belter one like that where they got they got a bunch of fines and that, and he ended up getting sent a check for like one dollar because the amount of stuff that he'd been fined. But his his revenge was to not cash it because he knew how anal Watts was about balancing the books, and it would drive him fucking insane not knowing where that dollar is. Or if it's not one dollar, it's some small perfunctory amount. But yeah, that's a, that's a great little passive-aggressive vengeance, that. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, missing an event, except in the case of the most severe injuries, is considered a breach of contract. The only excusable exception is an act of God. Wow. Okay. I can kind of see where, like, if somebody's injured, it will be good to still pay them and get them on the show and keep their face out there. I think people like Stone Cold getting dropped on his head by Owen Hart and then still being on camera for, like, months and months after. Well, that that made him, if anything. Yeah, exactly. But I have a feeling that's not really the thought behind Watson. I don't think it's like getting people out to still give them a payday even when they're injured. Seems unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is as well, though, these are these seem like conditions that the corporately ran Turner would never go for. 
Because these, these sound like the type of things that you would not stand up in court. Like, at I'm all. just going to say no lawyer has looked over these. <laughs> Clarence Mason, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Rule number six. Wrestlers who are injured and can't perform are still expected to make the town in order to show the fans that WCW will no longer falsely advertise talent. The only exception would be a crippling injury which doesn't allow for travelling. So, oh, wow. so it's like it's a lot like the other rule, but it's like even if you're injured, turn up so that we're sure that we advertise you and you're here. And you could be in a fucking wheelchair or something. So it's like it's not going to be much use to the crowd. Like we told you that Bobby Eaton would be here, and here he is in a body cast. <laughs> with with some of these commandments, like because some of the wrestlers who were brought into WCW during like the herd administration, given cushy contracts and stuff like that, they will have thought this is what wrestling is. And they're yeah. in for a sharp shock once Bill Watts comes in. Fright was doing them even better, and the reason you get some wonderful matches on that brief time between Heard and Watts when it's Fry is he was offering like a five grand bonus or something like that for whoever had the best match of the night. Wow. And he was incentivizing them on performance. Imagine so that. the yeah. stuff was very different compared to the constant punishments when Bill Watts comes in. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like um, the carrot instead of the stick. So Bill Watts is like, I won't hit you with the stick if you have a good match. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, the carrot. <laughs> oh. This one's just fucking stupid. Talking over the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited, as is any cursing loud enough for the audience to hear. Like the swearing one, I guess that makes sense with telly. But oh, what? So we're not having promos anymore now. Yeah, talking over the PA. How does he mean? Just like interviews in the arena? No, because they were still doing those. I would assume yeah. it's, you know, like getting a mic in the ring and actually talking. It seems like they're not about that. Oh, God. Right, okay. <laughs> then, then he's further back in his time machine for number eight. Fraternization between heels and baby faces in public is not acceptable. This includes traveling together to and from the arena, to public appearances, restaurants, and even to the gym. This also includes faces and heels socializing together in social situations and the gym. Now, last week I brought up about how he had that ridiculous rule about changing flights so that heels and faces weren't on the same flight. Mm. But, like, how are you meant to buy in 1992 when you're like, Okay, so I know Luger's gone at this point, but this is just the example I'm using. Like Lex Luger and Sting have a business together where they own a series of gyms. Like, are we going to believe that outside of wrestling now that they are not friends and not doing this? Like, once that genie's out the bottle, you can't put it back in. Well, I mean, to a point, but at the same time, if Lex Luger and Sting bought the gym whilst they were friends on TV, like... It, even if they stuck to all of that, they bought it while they were on TV. So the business partners. So it's yeah. like, so what they're expecting is for them to just sell their business. It's a very yeah, just not appear in the gym together or anything. <laughs> or like do worked like if they're advertising the gym on like local TV or something like that. Just like have them stood two meters apart so they don't punch, punch each other. <laughs> Social distance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can oh. you can see someone you don't like at the gym and not punch them. I've managed <laughs> it before. Like, that's fucking stupid. And yeah. All right, I need to leave the gym because a face has turned up. Oh, brilliant. Um, yes, that sounds miserable, but yeah. Oh, in, the next one makes sense, but probably adds to the misery. No guests are allowed in the dressing room, including family members, media, etc. I agree so with it's that. Like, yeah. I agree that people shouldn't be seeing behind the curtain. But this next one... Each wrestler is allowed only two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. 
Any number of tickets above that number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. Fuck off. You've been giving away hundreds and thousands of fucking <laughs> free tickets for the last few years. What do you think? Oh, that must be all wrestlers bringing their enormous families. I know if only the wrestlers have to pay for the family to get in, our drawing issues are over. Yeah. And and to be honest, the more people you bring as well, the more they'll be a bit more excited than they were on this card. Like Oh, I definitely. And then th- they were his first set of rules, but the extra four that he made were at the yeah. first set of TV tapings. Okay. First one sensible. No more 25 match marathon TV tapings because it burns out the crowd. I'd agree with that. Otherwise, they'll mm-hmm. seem flat later on. I wish no you'd more... stuck Sorry, to that bro. on pay-per-view, though, to be fair. <laughs> I don't know. No more moves off the top rope. Whoa, more on that later. Mm. No blood. How are man? We're like we're doing southern wrestling here, like people not bleeding, just blah. I'm like really it. shocked that he would go for no blood, unless that was Me something too. brought in from above. I mean, I guess it would make sense as a corporate mandate because they've done it at various times, but it blah. and then no steroids, which I get because they were in the middle of the big scandal at WWF with 92 and all that. So like I can see why steroids would be a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. And there are your Fun sapping laws of Bill Watts. <laughs> was that? Was, how, sorry, go on. I know. I was going to say, speaking of fun sapping Bill Watts, um, we'll start the pay per view how we basically started the last pay per view with, uh, I mean, you've got Magnum TA and Tony Schiavone being great. And then you've got Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura wearing one of the greatest jackets I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it's definitely the most colorful thing that night. And uh, then... I thought he was wearing a white suit and he lost on Get Your Own Back. <laughs> He's just like been gunged like multicolored slime all over it. And then they go from that to Eric Bischoff with Bill fucking Watts. And Bill Watts, <sighs> he, it sounds like he's justifying all of his rules. It's just boring. <laughs> it really is. And and because, again, you start off with the pyro, you start off with a hot crowd, and then you take about five or six minutes to get into the first match. And it's not like they even... Did they even see the Bill Watts thing on? There's no giant screen there, is there? No, think. there's not. So that was just for the telly, and there's fuck all going on then. Like, they wouldn't have seen that cool video package that had the, like... Mega Games compilation music off the Mega Drive playing while it showed you the brackets and that. But it's just also like you've just had... Oh, no, wait, there are over the PA, now that I think about it, when we were listening, that was all voiced over on the PA. But it's like... If, oh, you, do, if, you do hear crowd reactions to what's being said over the PA. Yeah. But like, if you've just had Magnum actually getting a speak, might I add, compared to when they brought him out at the Starcade, and all he did was turn the balls on the lottery machine and never spoke. <laughs> like, he actually got to speak this time. He's like run Dale down the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, it's okay, because we'll cut the Bill Watts explaining it again, but much more long-winded and less interesting. <laughs> you can tell he gets lost. I feel like we just... Because I love Bill Watts' Mid-South booking. I love those shows. Um, Me too. You've, seen, you've seen a lot more of it than I have. Um, I love the stars that he was able to make, etc. But he could not have been more out of place than when he was in WCW. Like a nationally see... te- Sorry. Well, yeah. well nationally televised company that's trying to appeal to kids as well as adults and, you know, try and expand. I mean, to, to try and, you know, take WWF's crown or at least get a piece of that market. You know what I mean? Like, because they don't have to worry about the in-ring stuff, but I think they have to worry about everything else in terms of 
being a visually appealing TV show. Totally. Like, he does a thing he'd done on Mid-South before, but this is the start of a pay-per-view. It's like, well, I know if there's one thing that I want to see before the first match, it's some medical footage from a doctor's. Hmm. You know, like cuts to Tokyo and it's showing why one of the Japanese team aren't going to be there. And yeah. they basically do the same thing they did, you know, in the show Dernie Lad getting telescopic knee surgery on Mid-South, which was pretty boring then. But like to start a pay-per-view with the Bill Watts unhype spot, some medical footage and like him telling you, I know the rules are unpopular and controversial, but, and then explain <laughs> them. <laughs> no, Only the rules that. are unpopular. Two sets of rules. There's yeah. two sets of fucking rules. So it's like, we'll do the NWA stuff, which is a tribute to tradition and heritage, except the NWA rules are separate to ours and are more fucking up-to-date and modern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very convoluted. One thing I do love at the start, when Eric Bischoff, uh, for the video voiceover bit, when he's announcing the teams, uh, you can tell he can't pronounce the Japanese team's name. So he's like, the Japanese team. <laughs> I mean, we're all guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, as well, I mean, you'll know better than me because um, I I know not nearly enough about this. The wrestler who replaced the injured wrestler did it make a difference? Did it like sort of? If they the fucking car- hyped it, yeah. yes, it would make a difference. But I mean, like Hiroshi Hase was one of the best rated wrestlers in Japan at the time. And right. they've got him here with, like, zero fanfare. Nothing being built up on the telly, really. Like, I know they've had some matches, but, like, we'd already had a great American... No, sorry, a Clash of the Champions in between Beach Blast and this, even though these two pay-per-views are so close together. And, like, that Clash had a load of stuff on setting up the qualifying rounds and stuff for this pay-per-view, including the crazy decision to have the Steiners lose and not be on the pay-per-view. No, oh, well, there's definitely a few uh, quite crazy decisions here. I, I, I mean, again, because I mean, you have watched a lot more of this than I have, but from what I've seen pre-Nitro, when they started bringing in the cruiserweights and the, um, all the international names, it didn't seem like the WCW fans, like the Southern WCW fans, really cared about this, uh, you know, cooperation and, uh, you know, Working relationship with Japan. Got to present it in such a way that they will care. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. But unless I've missed something, they don't. No, they (laughs) just don't. No, you're right. Um, And it seems like they're trying to... uh, AEW can be guilty of this, but I think their fans are far more hardcore knowledgeable than the general WCW public in the South. That if you have a IWGP or New Japan connection or something like that, like the fans are more knowledgeable about it. But it's the internet, really, isn't it? I don't think it's so much about the South. It's just the difference between '92 and '20. That's true. Well, WCW are just mentioning like New Japan or IWGP, uh, IWGP, and as if it's just meant to sound important, and we're meant to just buy it as important. You've Um, got to explain why it's important. Yeah. Yeah, really do. So, should we, should we get into the bit of you? Aye, so we start out with a match that the crowd are really hot for, understandably, because oh, it's like, sorry. Is this the, well, I was going to say, is this the dark match? Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, I forgot that there was a dark match. I was jumping straight into Pillman and Liger against Steamboat and Koloff. How much does this dark match not feel like it belongs on this pay per view? So, maybe that's why it's the dark match, but it's uh, Super Invader. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
you can tell he's getting the push when he's in the dark match. Um, with <laughs> Harley Race uh, against Marcus Bagwell, and um, Super Invader does beat Marcus Bagwell. So, um, so even when you don't see Bagwell, he's still losing. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then we're going to the pay per view. So. <laughs> Aye, so and as well, I noticed as we're talking about things that were fun being gone. You notice that this is the first show where the ramp's not there anymore. Yes, that is noticed. Yeah, and and it's not like they even made any attempt to make the entranceway look nice. No, none at all. It's just a curtain. It looks like you're coming through at the bloody club. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't care what anyone says. You have to have something vis- if you're going to put it on TV. Um, or if you're going to do it for a live arena, I mean, they're competing against concerts and stuff with big stage productions and lighting and stuff like that. It, there has to be a bit of entertainment value and a bit of sparkle, you know what I mean? But saying that, they have pyro. WWF events did not have pyro back then, shooting out the ring posts and stuff. It seemed really weird that they would have that for a Bill Watts show. It does seem mad. I don't know if that's just something that was left over. You know, this is like the first one he's properly in control of, as you can tell, compared with the other ones. The first one he was really in for was Wrestle War, the one before Beach Blast, but he had like fucking nothing to do with that. And Dusty booked everything and it had been done with Kip Fry and what have you. So this is when you see his influence take over. So <laughs> you got the ramp gone. And uh, oh, I did notice as well, one, one bit of attempted storyline at all, uh, Jesse Ventura was still mad at uh, Koloff for Ragdoll and Medusa around by the hair and the build-up, and that, since that is the only bit of story heading into this fucking pay-per-view at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the kind of... I think... I don't know if Jim Ross, like, sort of purposely tries to avoid it. Um, you know, he's just like, yeah, if any man beat up a woman, now, you know, they should be vilified or whatever. And it's just like, all right, okay, fine. <laughs> Aye. Um, <laughs> better than when Tony was like well it's a different culture <laughs> ah, um, so I mean Nikita Koloff and Ricky Steamboat against Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman fucking amazing and the match to be fair nearly all the matches tonight are great but this one gets the benefit of the fact that the crowd haven't watched loads and loads of tag matches with no story whatsoever so, like, the crowd are really hot for this, and it helps that it's the four of the most over guys, so naturally two of them have to be gone. Yeah. Well, the, the with these, like, four, did Steamboat and Koloff team up on TV? They had done, but, like, not for very long. Because there's more um, established teams that don't make it on the pay-per-view who lost in the first round. So it just seemed a bit weird that they would you know, go out of the way to put these together as a team. And, especially... and it had only really been an alliance against the Dangerous Alliance as well. It wasn't like they were a proper team. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is, I mean, uh, arguably, I was going to say because every match is kind of very long as well. So it goes, I mean, not long in like a bad sense. Uh, and the fact that it is first on the card really does help it. But it's a 20-minute opener and is uh, very good. So, do you, like, do you want to lead us through the match? I mean, the... Things that I noticed predominantly from this, firstly, is what a relief that this is an NWA match. So Pillman and Liger are allowed to do some actual aerial moves. Can you imagine those two poor bastards trying to work this match if they're not allowed to come off the top rope or like springboard or anything? Yeah, it, 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 it is really weird. It is Bill Watts acknowledging that his 
uh, rules are old and shit and unpopular. <laughs> so I just don't know why he's doing them. I mean, it's also, this is the perfect example of how you can still get what he wants. It's like they're doing aerial moves and that. But like Brian and Liger take turns working on Nikita's arm so that he can't do the sickle. And they're constantly working on that. They're like, take away his weapon. It's like, see, these are the junior heavyweight guys that work in Japan who are still doing the stuff that you want, that you think is wrestling. So like, just give over your stupid rules. There's a bit, <laughs> there's a bit, speaking of stupid, there's a bit that give me a good chuckle where um, there's like an abdominal stretch and they're reaching for the tag and it's Pilmer and Liger reaching to each other. But they're like, doing like wiggling fingers as if it's them trying to like get more ability like no wiggle harder <laughs> and they start wiggling so frantically at the end when they're reaching out i could just hear the bill and ted air guitar sounds in my head it's a solid exciting match that steamboat and nikita progress which is fine for storyline wise and what have you, but it's the shame that you now have a really long pay per view that Pillman and Liger won't be on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we go from that. I mean, it, it's uh, to the Bill Watts uh, coming out with the world title, isn't it? It's a it's a reminder to the Steiners that Bill Watts fucking hates them. Like they're, <laughs> they're brought out and it's like, so after you're eliminated early in the NWA tag tournament by Gordy and Williams, you also, in fact, lost your WCW titles to them, your tag titles on a house show. How do you feel? <sighs> and they're like, uh, <laughs> like just put on the spot being like, so you got beat twice by this team that are clearly better than you and you aren't on the pay-per-view tonight. What do you think about that? And, and the, the thing is, as well, and we'll get into this, but when the Steiners do come out throughout the pay-per-view, they get some of the biggest reactions from, like, By a dead far. crowd. Yeah, from, like, a, a crowd that needs woken up, like, severely. Um, but, yeah, so... It, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, like you say, understandable why uh, the Steiners weren't long for WCW after this. Um, so we go to... Uh, right, do you want to take over with the names here? <laughs> Uh, so we get the uh, fabulous Freebirds versus Hiroshi Hase. Oh, I cannot say it now. Hiroshi Hase and Shinya Hashimoto, which go. are an exciting tag team that nobody has been made to care about, which is doing a real disservice to the two Japanese lads. Mm. But I mean, it's also like you've got to feel like Bill Watts just wanted to dispose of WCW tag teams, like ones that were existing. Because it's like, so Steiners are already out and didn't make it this far. How can we get the Freebirds out? Yeah, and his was not a fan of Bill Watts coming into uh, WCW either. Uh, how great does Michael Hayes look here? Like that's a, that's the <laughs> he best. Looks badass, his, doesn't he? <laughs> that's the best his hair looked. I mean, I can never really. Freebirds' faces is like always a weird thing to me, but they were so popular as heels, and oh, at, least, at the very least, you love to hate them, sort of thing. Um, and Michael Hayes, I mean, he does. He like blows a kiss to the camera and does his moonwalk and stuff like that. And the Japanese lads are just like, fuck's this? Like, um, it, it's <laughs> a more over a... than you'd think as well, because where they've dubbed the fucking music over, you can't really hear the crowd reaction. Oh, yeah, they've got the second theme, haven't they? Yeah. Bad Street's blasting over this, but I'm I'm pretty sure, given that time, that it should have been I'm a free bird, what's your excuse? But like I had a tape of this at one point, and I I think the music that I heard when they came out was just like an instrumental that sounded like a knockoff of a thirty-eight special song. So right. it's weird either way. I don't. It's just I know it'll be because of that court case WWE had against the lad who wrote the music. What did you say he was called again? 
Oh God, you've put you've Bill watched me now. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but him, <laughs> him, him who wrote all the Slam Jam era stuff and what have you. Yeah, but like he has the credit for Bad Street as well. So like, why is this being overdubbed over the other one? I don't get it. it, it I'd say I wasn't sure if it had been overdubbed or not because the music, the Bad Street music, just um, conveniently ends after the chorus. So like, because I was thinking it might cut off before the start of the chorus or something like that, but. Um, you know, you get like the full chorus in there, so like I wasn't sure if that was overdubbed or not, but it makes sense because, um, yeah, they definitely had that that new theme by '92. You can see how much what the crowd wants and how they're not going to get it when like you get the start <laughs> and the crowd are cheering and Hayes is like moonwalking and he's posturing and that, and then the match starts and other than a few of the kind of obligatory jingoistic caveman chants of USA, USA erupting when they get too bored like there's there's just nothing for the crowd to get into here i enjoy this match personally and i thought it was a nice change of pace seeing a japanese team in there mm. but they gave them no chance here and like there's some real clumsiness and like lack of chemistry between the freebirds and these two there's definitely a lack of chemistry but i, I was actually more surprised that michael hayes is doing like some chain wrestling on this um like, I, I well, don't you probably know. just have to, don't you, in this era? Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if it was like even a communication breakdown or if like the three birds were just not happy about the position in the card, um, or whatever. But yeah, it's a it's an odd match, and it really is odd to see the three birds get jobbed like this early uh, on in a tournament. And they're beaten pretty cleanly as well. I'm I'm pretty sure, isn't it? Just like Jimmy Jam gets kicked by Hashimoto into a bridge in Northern Lights from Hase, which is a, a cool finish, but like that's decisive, that isn't it? It really is. It really is. Um, so yeah, it, again, it's just it, it's unfortunate, but it's just a reasonably forgetful, forgetful, uh, forgettable match for me. Like, but again, though, that's that's why I feel bad that I'm like these are like these world class wrestlers, and I should be enjoying this more than I am. But Aye. that's the general phrase for this event. I should be enjoying this more than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so after this match, it is after this match we cut to Bill Watts with the NWA. It Bell, is, yeah. After, right. This is before you've got completely sick of hearing that dodgy entrance music that the Japanese lads have. Because for some reason, <laughs> every team in either WWF or WCW seem to have to have like incidental music from Bloodsport or Kickboxer as their entrance theme. You notice that. It's like every uh, jobber on the Hidden Gems comes out to uh, turn it up. <laughs> to the really? Yeah, oh, Rocky, Rocky Maivia comes out to turn it up on his like dark match debut. I don't know if it was typed in that. that night, but like it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> they get the money's worth out of that song. Um, yeah, after this, we get Bill Watts back, uh, back out in front of the crowd. Oh, actually, in, in front of the crowd for the first time, which is probably a good thing, because if it was the second time, the crowd might have been getting up to fucking leave at this point. But uh, he brings out the NWA belt, and this is basically just a jab at Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Sid Vicious back this time. 100%. <laughs> Um, and it's like the, the flair had been gone for a long time by this point, so it wasn't exactly you know, it, a yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think it did anyone. And you see them literally taking the, the plate off the belt, like, you've yeah, kept he's like, so throw this shit away. <laughs> it makes you think, though, like, did WCW just receive that belt back by this point? Then it's a good question. I know they had to like 
at the Great American Bash the year before when Rick had fucked off, they had to use like an old Florida belt that Dusty had and like hide the nameplate and try and weasel their way around it. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because when Flair did get, to be fair, uh, Flair by about November 91, they were blurring out the belt. And I think maybe he didn't have possession of it by that point because they were using a tag belt. But um, yeah, and um, and when you think even like you want WWF's archives, they must have had like an old belt that's unrecognizable that they could have brought out instead of a current tag team belt, just um, censored, <laughs> just censored. So yeah, yeah, and there's uncensored pictures uh, on the internet of that as well. But um, this, I I just it, again, it sounds awful, but I just don't think people care that much that there's. Um, unifications happening um, no i don't think they do either but also like you can see the disrespect even here and so it's like we're going to go and we're going to do this great show in japan where there's going to be yet another nwa tournament like that's mm. not going to get people excited in the midst of this tournament <laughs> but it like it's what's his name who they give the belt to is it hero matsuda it's matsuda yeah yeah i mean they then like don't barely let him speak and like they don't even d- film his face while he's talking like, <laughs> and didn't, come didn't on Mas- well, didn't Masuda lose it to Flair when Flair came back anyway <laughs> didn't wasn't he like part of the fucking evil corporation that owned the horseman at one point as well? <laughs> and then he's like doing this against Flair and none of this is getting brought up because Bill Watts like that's a story we're not allowed stories <laughs> it just... what we need is another fucking tournament with people that you don't know about and I won't present them as if they're important and you'll like it damn it 92 is such an anomaly for WCW because if you look at 91, I mean, okay, Flair leaves and everything changes, but 91 still has a lot of what made WCW really good. And by 93, there was a lot of what makes WCW really good, but 92, it just, it feels... It's all being torpedoed. It really does. Like, you know, because um, I know Bischoff gets a lot of criticism in 94 for taking them to Disney and stuff like that, but... At least it made it fun. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot to recover from, from what was done here. Like, I mean, Bischoff himself even says, he's like, Bill Watts came into a nearly impossible situation because of the stuff that had happened with Jim Hurd. But he's like, mm. but then he just went about making it infinitely fucking worse. I think if Flair hadn't left in 91, he would have left in 92 anyway when Bill Watts oh, came Oh, definitely. Flair would not have loved this shit. No, and I'm really surprised that like Moore didn't leave in 92 unless they were on like, reasonably good contracts so you know um but all you need to do is turn up late a few times or get punched in the cock and you'll get sacked and you can go and work somewhere better (laughs) well get punched in the cock or punch someone in the cock oh no but if you sell it (laughs) you're as bad (laughs) as the dick puncher (laughs) oh yeah fucking hell anyway right (laughs) let's carry on (laughs) after that we'll get we, we're making this sound time. like a well, sorry, we're making this sound like a chore. Like you know, we don't mean to do that. Um, you know, I feel like it's worth you know, and obviously you feel that it's worth covering because WCW ninety two is so interesting. We're not trying, you know, we're trying to analyze this and have fun with it and stuff like that. You know, but certainly not just whinge. The the thing that for me is like why I thought this was important to cover. I'm one of those people who often is like, oh, sports entertainment stuff, oh, too much boring shit. Fucking, I don't want to watch this silly bollocks. I want to watch proper wrestling. Mm. And like, this is one of those be careful what you wish for scenarios. 
Mm. Like there's a lot of people who are criticizing a lot of the modern products, like all of them about how they need to be more sporting. And I'm often one of those people, but look at what happens if you go completely back <laughs> to like throw it way the fuck back and then make it this serious and this stiff and have no storyline and no pageantry and nothing like it's shocking. So this is a pay-per-view full of stunning quality wrestling matches that it's hard to get excited about because you've seen a lot of them that are the same. You've seen the guys multiple times and the crowd are all like putting the fucking noose around their neck ready for the end. Mm. And and the, the, not just great after this as well, but really great entertainers. Like the next match, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham against Steve Austin, which to be fair is a tremendous match. It is a tremendous match, but they would have got a lot more storyline out of this pre-rude because you've got all the kind of the dangerous alliance stuff and the people who've been fighting the alliance and what have you. And the storyline not long before this had been how the alliance was starting to split up. Like, if anything, Bill Watts wants to save money and that's why he comes in. The dangerous alliance should be a dream. Like, you couldn't present great wrestlers like Zabisco or Bobby Eaton as, like, top threats straight away because they would need a lot of build-up to get there. You know they're going to put on fantastic matches and you know that... Well, I was going to say, you know, that can cut great promos. Eaton can't, but like Zabisco can. And by putting them in this group, the Dangerous Alliance, you instantly make them important without having to spend more money on promotion and like longer angles and feuds and what have you. Like it's an easy way to make matches and stars important without it being expensive. You don't need to buy like bigger drawing talents you know you've got like rick flair's fucked off lex luger's fucked off sid vicious is fucked off so it's like what can we do we can't afford to replace them you have the dangerous alliance to make the people you've already got more important and he starts de-emphasizing it and getting shot of it <laughs> yeah it's great well speaking of that like paul Heyman is not there that night um is he gone by this point i don't think he's gone yet but like, he does get I, he's a notable absence isn't he oh it, it's just another bit of Color and fun that just gets that could have been there for this show and just gets completely taken away from it. Um, but thank God, Mitchis is there. <laughs> oh, thank God. By having Rick and Steve both on the same team here, it means oh look, we've got another pay per view where we're guaranteed the US title and the TV title won't be defended. Yeah, it's like two pay per views in a row where they're not defending belts. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the sign in the audience? Uh, the very uh, optimistic sign saying "Medusa, my room number's two seventeen or something." <laughs> Dream on, kid. <laughs> <laughs> More um, likely that Barry Windham will turn up. <laughs> well, I've got to say, like Barry Windham, I've always uh, you can't not rate Barry Windham. But the thing that I love about him is I don't think anyone has been able to jump between being a face and a heel and completely change their presentation, but still also be Barry Windham. Like, ah, uh, you know what you mean? It's really weird. Like but watching Barry Windham in 92 is like watching Barry Windham in 85 with the U S express or like in 88 against flair. Um, but like horseman, Barry Windham or like Widowmaker and, you know, heel, um, yeah. sort of like cowboy Barry Windham. It's, it's, they don't feel like the same people. And the Wyndham Rhodes team is like a very underrated team, I think. There's a lot of unfair criticism of Rhodes at the time. And I get it. You know, everyone's talking about nepotism at the time and all of the owners were saying it and et cetera, et cetera. The Dusty was pushing Dustin too much. And like maybe he was, but 
excuse me, all the Dustin Rhodes matches are great. He's really good in the ring. Like I was a kid, so I knew nothing about nepotism and backstage politics and all that sort of bullshit. And I just would get excited. Like Dustin Rhodes is one of my favorites. I hear the natural music and I get excited now, like in 2021, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You can't hold good talent down. That I guess there is. It, it could maybe be argued that because his dad was working for the company, maybe he was working for cheaper. Um, <laughs> Hi, maybe. You know, get your money's worth out of him and stuff like that. But Wyndham, who can be accused of, depending on his situation, of being unmotivated sometimes. I mean, look at the stalker stuff. You know. Um, like could get motivated about that. Yeah, I know, I know. But like, but yeah, he's he's Wyndham of old. Like, this is really the last great period of Barry Wyndham. Um, sad, isn't it? It is sad. Um, and, and you know, I'm glad he still gets used. Going, you know, and he has matches against Flair in '93 and stuff like that as well. Um, but it's like I don't know what what even happens to Barry Wyndham between '93 and '96 when he shows up in WWF. I can't really remember either, other than like this one of those matches with Flair isn't as good as you would hope it'd be, and it just seems like it's all fizzling out a bit. Right. I mean, maybe Z knows that he's when you know you're on the downhill slide or something like that, or you know you're not going to get that title push anymore. Or um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 unfortunately for like WCW, especially after Watts is gone, he's maybe a bit too no frills. Yeah, you know, I know like what you mean. It's not someone you can market and stuff like that. I mean, slightly off topic, someone asked about Paul Orndorff, uh, why, you know, he made a event of WrestleMania and stuff like that, but he wasn't on the cartoon. He didn't get a figure straight away. But it's like, it's because he doesn't have a daft outfit. <laughs> like, he just... Ah, you know what you mean? Or a daft <laughs> character or, like, mm-hmm. extra gimmick. So it is It is hard to market. Um, but, yeah, this, this match is a great match. Um, it, it is. It's a really great match. I'm confused by the commentary, though. I don't know why he's calling them Texicans all the way through. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's no Latin heritage in either of them. And uh, it had been a canny while since Texas had been annexed from Mexico. Like, uh, I want to say that was in around 1845. So I know Bill Watts was old fashioned, but fucking hell, was this something that he fed along to Jesse? No, I, I, I guarantee it'll be a Jesse being a. It's like when he called Tito Chico or he called Gary Capetta. Kapetsky and stuff like that. You would just change <laughs> names just to rile or get on the tits, I guess. Um, it, it, that is one of my earliest memories of ITV WCW is that you would keep calling them Texicans. And uh, Tony Giovanni kept having to uh, uh, correct them. But now it's just Jesse being Jesse, just coming up with Ivan Pudutsky <laughs> instead of Putsky. And it's just like, it makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but, uh, just Jesse being Jesse. Right. I, I think this is one of the last tag matches of the night where the crowd are really into it. Like you can hear them starting to wane in how they react during, during this one. Like you get big spots, you know, like where there's the reverse tombstone or like, you know, in Austin's in the wrong corner and he gets lost and he goes to tag and he's getting punched by the two of them. Like the crowd reacted to those parts and the, the hot for the finish when the top rope lariat pins Austin because, you know, top rope moves are good. But um, like <laughs> Austin the, takes a great clothesline as well. He does, doesn't he? But like that's when the crowd is starting to get like, where is this going? Well, this is the last match, the last tag match of the night that is for full-time WCW names as well. And that mm. could have something to do with it. Maybe this should have been the finals. I, I never thought of that, you know, but that is a good point. 
Yeah, it, it's always my argument with like Survivor Series 93. There's every match has someone who the Boston crowd doesn't fucking recognize or who weren't advertised. So it's just like, no wonder they're not into the card um, after a while because they don't yeah, know what they're looking at. They don't know what they're looking at. Um, and, and as well, if you're used to a certain wrestling style as well, then, you know, having someone coming in, doing all sorts of different moves that you've never seen before, it may be seen as illogical in some ways. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it, it's the thing of, like, Smoky Mountain wouldn't have done the ECW stuff in 94, and ECW wouldn't have done the Smoky Mountain stuff because it's completely different audiences. It's still, this event is still a very regional-feeling pay-per-view event. This is the most regional feeling they've been for a while, but it also feels like regional wrestling from 10 years earlier. <laughs> well, no, because that's, that's unfair on regional wrestling from 10 years earlier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> When true, you could actually, have blood I, I like and angles. I like a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where there was blood and angles and, you know, stuff that Bill Watts was actually involved with as well. But um... The way you said before, you know, about how this should have been the final, aside from it being like four recognizable WCW names for in the final. Like this shows is contempt for anything that's been going on storyline wise, because you're not getting the dangerous Alliance versus WCW in the final. And it's, it's like, insane. Yeah. it's early, it's low down in the card and it's not really emphasized. So you can see he's just given up on the stories. The, yeah. This is, this feels like a, a house show. Uh, in terms of like one night tournaments are usually there to try and boost some attendance because there'll be something on the line. Um, but it's also used as a bit of a reset as well. So do you feel that this event was a bit of a reset for things going forward? I think so. But the reset a lot seems to be clear what we were doing before and then not really have anything while we go forwards. <laughs> oh, amazing. We'll have to do more 92, certainly. Um, oh, I mean, definitely. the only... The only thing that the sort of follow up on really is Ron Simmons pursuing the title. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like I say, you, they don't really get a chance to pursue the Steiner brothers. Uh, I mean, could the Steiner brothers have looked more like fucking schlubs on this pay per view? <laughs> it's appalling, isn't it? They're like one of the greatest teams of all time, and they're really over with this crowd. Yeah, you think at Go the to end. The max. Oh, we'll we'll get to the the next appearance in a bit, but um, <laughs> the um, so we're followed up with Terry Gordy and Steve Williams. This is the next round. Um, we, get, we get a little interview to break it up, oh. thank God, because otherwise it's just <laughs> then launching into the next round of the tag tournament with the same people that seems ridiculous. Yeah, that yeah. could be tiring. Yeah. So you do get a brief interview with Harley and Vader. Then Bischoff does that smart thing that Jimmy Hart always used to do. You know, where you stand kind of behind the guy that you're interviewing and it emphasizes how monstrous Vader is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I did appreciate that. And it was nice to be like, look, characters, story. And how good is race here as well? Like, you've, oh, he's fantastic. I think people forget how actually good of a talker Harley Race is because you think he's like the silent, violent type. Um, but when he's riled up and he has something to talk about, he's he's amazing. He compliments Vader so well, and there's something that you see later. And I, I don't want to get into the match here, but like you just, it's a far better working relationship than Vader and Cornet for sure. Yeah, I would agree. It makes a lot more sense. But we've we've talked about that before, haven't we, with some of Vader in '96 and why we thought this stuff worked better. Oh yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll definitely get more into that for the the Sting Vader match as well. But um. Up next Which is the main reason to watch this card. 
without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, Terry Gordy and Steve Williams against Nikita and uh, Ricky Steamboat. Now, this is potentially the most forgettable match for me on the entire card. Um, Aye. It just... I know that as tournaments go on, time limits end up being longer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the match should also be longer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They are more tired by this point. Um, you try and end it sooner. In, in, yeah, or, or make it more action packed, or have twists and turns and stuff like that. But it just, it just seems to drag, and it should. It's, it's the fourth lengthy tag match in a row, so yeah. the crowd really is like just sinking. The commentary as well shows you where they want to go. Because like JR is putting over the past achievements of like Dr. Death and UWF, and he's talking about what the pair of them have done in all Japan. Like mm-hmm. he's referring to them as like the miracle violence connection and that. But then it's like, oh, and they beat the Steiners twice this week. And it's like that's about as much as is brought up about the Steiners, even though they're not in the match. And you've just got to think if you're Scott and Rick, you're thinking, What am I doing here? I've already been brought out to have this rubbed in. Now they're rubbing it in on the commentary as well. Yeah. When when um Gordy and Williams beat the Steiners, was that their first appearance back in WCW? I'm not sure, actually, to be honest. Because if they had, then what you're you're pushing this team that's been around for a week as your main draw on your pay-per-view. Like it's I know mental. They, I know they've got names and everything, but again, like you say, without any kind of context or any kind of video package to just show what they've done in Japan, which is mighty impressive, or to show where they came from, like UWF or with the Freebirds and stuff like that. Yeah, there's just... no mention of Gordy being a Freebird, even though the Freebirds have already been out and been eliminated earlier in the night. Yeah, it's, it's just it's... crazy. It is crazy. Um, the crowd is fucking dead in this match as well. Like when Steamboat and Koloff are trying to wrestle the same sort of style as MVC, that just makes it even more bland. Like it, yeah. there's not a lot to see with this. Didn't you feel like when Nikita's in holds that go on for ages and ages, it seems like the life's getting sapped out of the crowd more than it is out in Nikita? <laughs> yeah. It, it, with these with these teams, especially with. Um, with Gordy and uh, with Gordy and Williams, like they're not really trying to be very violent. On this, it's an odd name for people who are doing all holds, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, oh, again, because I don't want to feel like I'm repeating myself with this, but like, yeah, it just this tournament does not bring out the best in any of these teams, except maybe to be honest, Pillman and Liger, uh, but they only get one match and the variations of the type of matches aren't different enough as well. Um, like you say, there's no... If it's a tournament and there's a time limit, you try to win the match as quickly as possible because you want to preserve yourself. Yeah, and it just doesn't not seem do to like be... your half-hour epics every time, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, you know, there just doesn't seem to be any urgency in the matches. Um Yeah. I don't know. Again, yeah. without just repeating yourself, that's just kind of my, you know, mindset on it. And again, speaking to you, who's a huge fan, like, I, I again, you, I feel like I'm not coming across like a wrestling fan because I'm slagging off these matches, but it's how the pay-per-view was put together. Yeah, it's just getting that much of anything in a row is too much. Like, mm. The bear hug, like, variant of the stampede, that is done on Steamboat sh- should be impressive. And like, if this was a random one-off tag team, p- 
people would be like, oh my God, seeing Ricky Steamboat get pinned like that. But because it's like the fourth tag match, which are like the shortest of which is like 16 minutes long, the crowd are just burnt out by then. And then immediately after, they're getting Hase and Hashimoto against Rhodes and Wyndham. Yeah, in another 15 to 20-minute match. <laughs> you can the tell is, the crowd are dead, yeah. It's the summer, and the they're trying to, you know, Bill Watts is trying to save money. I genuinely think that there's probably no air conditioning on in that arena as well. Yeah, there probably isn't. That um, that would all of that would fit for like you notice the entrances, zero response for the Japanese team, very small for Rhodes and Wyndham. So it's like if even the Texans aren't getting a big reaction, you know the audience is burned out. Like look at the spike tri- pile drive a bit. Like Hashimoto comes off the top and pile drives at Rhodes while ha- Hase's got him. So it's like a, a top rope double team and there's no response. <laughs> the, the crowd are just like, yep, we're just tired. When there's a tournament like this, um, it just starts to feel like the matches are formalities. Like they just have to be done uh, just so you can get to the finals, which should be the most exciting bit. Um, Aye. You know, the, the one thing I'd say about this tournament, which is good, is that you probably couldn't pick a winner uh, because they're all great teams. And but, if you uh, watch the matches in isolation mm-hmm. and you turned off the sound so you don't get the total lack of crowd, <laughs> like you could really enjoy any of these matches. Like this match I actually really liked. And, you know, there's a bit of a different style with the Japanese team being in there and they're doing kind of kicks that you wouldn't normally see in that. But the crowd are just finished. Like, Rhodes is getting pasted for ages to try and build sympathy and the crowd just couldn't give a fuck. It's not until Hassid misses the double knee off the top rope that there's like any life from the crowd here for that tag. When you can't get sympathy for Barry Windham as a face, then I think you're in trouble. <laughs> um, um, but it, it just shows you how much credit Sting and Vader should get. Um, oh, 100%. For picking up that pay-per-view and saving it. Um, they really do. They save the crowd and everything because like, you've just had another match that ends with like, oh, and it's a leapfrog and a lariat pin. It's like this really long match ended with a clothesline. <laughs> and then we'll get um, a few minutes to wake us up of Ron Simmons dressed like a chemist for some reason, talking <laughs> to Shivani and Magnum just to make sure that they're still awake and or alive. <laughs> yeah, having Ron Simmons come out does pick up the crowd a little bit as well because it's just something different and recognisable. Like, yeah, it, it does feel like like you sort of this whole tournament is or this whole pay per view is just vegetables, you know what I mean? And now you're getting a bit of fucking dessert finally. Like, oh, I would say if, if they were vegetables, Vader and Sting is the beef when they come out. Like, this is this is a real main course. I, I once I can get over my anger that you don't get to see that cool thing with the helmet on the entrance ramp and all that because it just doesn't look very effective when they do it in the ring give us back yeah. any ramp other than that there's like there's not much to complain about in this match I don't think I've ever noticed before that Vader's eyes light up in the helmet I noticed that they light up when he's not wearing it but I've not noticed them light up while he's got it on yeah um, I've, oh, that's really cool I've ne- unless that was something he added later on I've never noticed it but that is one thing about the ramp being missing like uh, you know that really suited Vader um, and one thing I always liked about the ramp as well uh, on the WCW pay-per-views is the heel would come out first and the face would already be stood at the top of the ramp before his music hit because yeah. 
Otherwise, it would look shit seeing them climb up some stairs to like get to the <laughs> ramp. So you already hear the anticipation of the crowd, which I yeah. love. Um, Me too. But yeah, again, you completely because <laughs> it was great. It's been taken away completely for this event. Um, <laughs> this match yeah. is the first time you get a feel for it being a great American bash, though, isn't it? Well, I mean, Sting's in his American gear as well. Brilliant. I, that's what I meant. He comes out dressed as a flag, such a monstrous <laughs> flag that it makes the belt look like a bum bag while he's got it on. But like, then the crowd are really hot and it's Sting and it's Vader and, oh, thank God. I was waiting at any moment for Bill Watts to come out and pour water on it. <laughs> Putting some rules or something, yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is, I mean, this would have been under WCW rules as well, wouldn't it? So Yeah, this one was. So then the, the, the baby face has to take on the giant where he can't do any aerial moves, which would be fine if that was like part of the story, but they don't really make it part of the story and it's not no. on the commentary or anything. And Jim Ross is at his best with these kind of David and Goliath um, matches because he really puts like a sense of urgency behind whoever the, the David you know role is to have to do all he can. And when he gets gets that chance, you know what I mean? Because, like, the, the fucking unstoppable monster makes a mistake. Like, Jim Ross is incredible at, like, picking up on that. And He is uh, really hot on the commentary on this as well. Really yeah. good. Um, and, I mean, it's an amazing match. But if, the one thing I'd say is, again, Vader is far too generous with what he does um, <laughs> in, in terms of, like... like when he's off. outside and he's lying down for ages and that. He's, like, well, yeah, so it, The bump over the rope and, you know, the the backdrop and stuff like that i felt like those were maybe too early on in the match like you should save them like the hogan andre slam if you did that in the first two minutes like you know it just kind of that's your peak you know what i mean like vader is so good that i do think that he gave too much i felt real horror when he got clothes lined over the top rope as well i was like oh my god this is one of boring bills disqualifications <laughs> Like after the crowd's so hot for the face-off and then you get those strikes at the start that seem really exciting because we've just watched people headlock each other for two full hours. So then you get like all of this and there's a big clothesline when Sting's getting his comeback and the crowd are going crazy and, oh, fuck, Vader's gone over the top. And they made a big thing about if you intentionally put someone over the top that you're disqualified. It's like, oh, God. But then that doesn't come into play. So his rules are just ignored anyway. Yeah. Uh, and... When I talk about Vader being too generous, I mean, I, I guess it is a criticism because, but the, the fact that he's so good as well that he's able to be in that main event picture for the next two years obviously speaks to how good Vader is. I think if it wasn't for the Hogan-y style at WWE, which then later came here as well, it wouldn't be seen as a problem or a criticism, though. Like, in reality, it should be a criticism that the big fuckers won't sell and stuff like that elsewhere. And I know it's all built around, like, a big comeback, but then put it this way, right? If you're wrestling Vader and he's been selling well for you and you have an epic match and you eventually win, that's a lot more believable than like Andre the Giant kicks my ass solidly for a while. Then I do one body slam and I pin him. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> very true. Um, that was all of them, like Hogan's comeback. So it's with Bundy and that, and Bundy would have kicked the fuck out of you for ages. But I'd say, it's okay, you've gently brushed his face with his leg and then sat on him. That's the end. It's like he has he had he's had no match. You know what I mean? Is he doing the bot the the what's he called? The Homer Simpson thing when he boxes, you know, it's like to let them punch you in the head for long enough that they get tired and then you can win it with one hit. Yeah. That, that's how I always feel though. So for me personally, I can see why you would think that. 
but I like it and it adds to the story more because then there was a moment where I think, oh my God, could Sting overcome him here? And then Vader has okay. to do something of a comeback and it's more epic. Well, maybe it is because, you know, I've, I know Vader's WWF stuff so well and I've seen him take body slams off Shawn Michaels, which just, like, is insane. Just stupid. Yeah, like, maybe that is t- him taking it too far and maybe trying to be a team player a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, don't do that around Shawn Michaels or you will be marginalised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this this match is so fucking good. Like, should it have closed the pay-per-view? Oh, so much. Unless they were just worried that the crowd were going to be burned out. Like, there's just, the crowd are on fire for this. You know, there's a bit I love where Vader's done the big splash on Sting and it seems certain that the match will end. But Sting doesn't even kick out or anything. He just barely wriggles out from underneath him of being pinned. Yeah. And like the crowd are so excited for that. Like you really believe when he goes for that um, stinger splash, and then when he hits the post and gets power bombed and Vader gets his belt, like it's shocking. Yeah. Ending a pit view with a heel when, I mean, they've done it before, and ending with real heat is a ending with any reaction before it dies out is like the best way to end any show. But like what I love as well is it's not just the commentators and you see the crowd being shocked as well, but it's like the backstage announcers are also like, what I love and what is missing is locker room interviews. Like there should be like a roving reporter yeah. running into the locker room to get like the first word with Vader. And I love that should be when- Magnum. Yeah. Like he's one of the boys sort of thing, you know, quote unquote, the boys. Like he should be the one now that he has the mic to be going in there because he understands how you feel and what have you. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, you know, Bishop certainly didn't do a bad job here, but I mean, Vader and Harley Race just took over the proceedings, basically. Um, but I mean, another thing that I love as well, which isn't done nearly enough, with, I mean, you can't do it now, but with wrestling press as well, like have the photographers get in the ring and take the pictures and have them, Aye. you know, what a way to piss off the crowd than having your, you know, monster heel, just like while Sting's being fucking stretched out. Um I did think the handled Sting afterwards quite good, even if you get the uncomfortable sight of Grizzly Smith coming out to join Ole <laughs> Anderson in the persona non grata hiring era of Bill Watts being there. But like they handle that pretty well, and it it feeds to when you get Shivani and Magnum TA praising Sting's efforts and like talking about how bold he was and brave he was and what have you, which is probably just while they wait for Bishop to get back to beta. It's it's a gr- always a great way to end a pit view like. And it's a title match. It's a title change. It makes it should make you want to tune into the next show that they've got on. Um, it's but having anything after that, just like Undertaker, Hogan, the Survivor like one. It's a title change, and they end on such major heat. And then they have two more matches after it, and the crowd are fucking dead. But and I always thought that that was the most dead after a title match I'd ever seen a crowd until uh, I saw this show closer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord as well like you've just had like harley's like baiting all the little stingers and he's like yeah. proper rubbing it in and it's like oh man now it's like if you're gonna do anything else give the people what they want don't give them the third time barry Wyndon and dust sorry barry Wyndham and dusty road fucking hell i can't talk today <laughs> the third time that Wyndham and Rhodes have had to come out like no matter how much you love them you're sick of the fucking sight of them when it's like the third match and every one of them's like at least 20 minutes. Then they're going against 
the MVC, no, I don't mean music video company, <laughs> but like, as you pointed out, brand new team that they have not hyped and have not shown anything of in Japan, have not showed packages of Dr. Death and Mid-South and have not showed stuff of Terry as a freebird. Like, oh, you couldn't give the crowd what they want less after that. Yeah, and and uh, no, I, I said that like as tournaments go on, like there should be an urgency to win. But like I think with the finals in the tournament, there should be a I will do everything I can to not lose. Um, you know, it's it really is like come this far. Yeah, absolutely. And no, none of these teams should have lost in less than twenty minutes. I agree with that. But don't put it as your last match after a fucking world title change. And and it might have seemed like a good idea. And I know you have to. Emphasize or, the or just do the semis in the final here. Have the semis yeah. at the start, have other matches, have the final at the end, mm. and then put the fucking Vader one on after that. You know what I mean? You definitely the, could have handled it, but especially when they just had a bloody Clash of the Champions rammed with tag matches for this. Well, ironically, where there's no clashes of any champions, and then like the. <laughs> I. <laughs> um, I, I've never seen a crowd as quiet. No, me neither. This is the coldest main event I can ever remember in WCW because usually WCW is at least, it's always watchable because when it goes bad, it's usually cataclysmic and it's fucking hilarious or it's like <laughs> enraging and there's still something to be engaged in. Like, uh, look at the Great American Gash the year before where it's like, oh shit, gimmick matches and everything's changed. Like, if there's a show for us to put on. That'll be a hilarious one. But yeah. like, this is a step up from that while then not being very interesting. And they do try. Like, they really try to put on a show, but, like, enough, they must know that there's nothing they can do to save this crowd. Oh, but and I love all four of these guys as well. I don't want people... It's purely about what the crowd is saying that I'm talking about. Like, I hope yeah. nobody thinks that I'm thinking these are two shit teams. No, no, and, and I'm sure... And as earlier in the night has shown, Wyndham and Rhodes are over with the crowd. But again, you can you just burn out a crowd. It would be like going on stage, doing all your greatest hits, and then doing about twenty album tracks after it. <laughs> exactly. And closing the show with it. Um, and even after that, if you put on another greatest hit at the end, it's not necessarily gonna, you know, get the crowd back up because the like I said, they're just completely burned out. And the announcers, I mean, Ventura does the thing that I've heard. Um, Grill Monsoon do a few times where they're like, oh, the crowd are just so in awe of the previous match that they just, you know, they don't know how to react in this match. It's like, no, they are burned out. They're not... I think it goes beyond being gutted that Vader won the title. I don't think that the crowd are as gutted as they're trying to make out. It really is just being burned out. They were... In their booking decisions, they made sure there was no chance to get the crowd back on side by doing what I call the bullseye moment where you yeah. basically get shown what you could have won. So then like the Steiners have come out and people are like, yeah, get in. It's the Steiners. And then it's like, here's what you could have won. The Steiners are going home now. Can you like, imagine if oh. somehow the Steiners had talked? I, I don't know how you could do it without making uh, Wyndham and uh, Rhodes look like schnubs, but if they'd have talked them out of the match so that they could go into the match and then maybe win it, I think yeah, that would be... I'd do even more than that. I'd have the Steiners cost Miracle Violence Connection the match. Yes. And then you've got those belts go to someone else where either Wyndham and Rhodes can feud with you because we didn't want to win them like that, or 
like they just go and have a different feud and then you can continue to feud with um MVC. But like, yeah. nah, it's just, no, that would no. have been the thing. That would have been the thing to do. I think I've seen Mania nine too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got Jr. He's like, oh, this is one of the most painful moves in all of wrestling—a front face lock. Oh, Jim, you're not going to get as excited now. Like, it might be one of the most painful, but it's definitely not one of the most interesting. We've just watched Sting and Vader paste each other. You're not going to make me fucking excited about a front face lock. No, and I, I've got to say, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura earn their money on this main event. They really try. Oh, they like, did their best, like. Yeah. Um, but I honestly would think that the crowd are so quiet that you can hear the commentary <laughs> if you're sad. Aye. And it's a <laughs> like, fantastic match, really. You just don't care because of the amount of stuff you've seen. Like, you know, there's a bit where um, Williams is going for the stampede and Wyndham drop kicks Rhodes so that like he's taken out of it and he gets splashed instead and stuff like that's really cool and really fun but the crowd are just dead by then mm-hmm. yeah and I think in, in some ways I mean not that they would have changed it but it's probably the best it's probably better that the heels actually win this to complete indifference than the faces winning it to complete indifference no, that's true like, <laughs> you never want to see the main event of a pay-per-view with two teams as talented as this Contested over the NWA Tag Team Championships, end with polite applause. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, once the lights go up, you already see people running for the last metro. You know, and isn't it um, fucking mental that they stay to do more talking afterwards, while you can see the crowd, as you say, bailing for the metro. <laughs> I've, and I've got to say, well, maybe I mean I don't know, but I wonder how many people got up and left before the match finished. That's why Watts has got the lights turned off. People it think might. it's so you can't see the empty seats. Some people think it's so you can't see them leaving. In reality, it's so they can't find their way out. <laughs> and the thing is, those who left, um, you know, uh, early missed all the pyro at the end. <laughs> Wouldn't you think? Have the pyro as soon as like someone wins instead of just I know, where it you present the belts or anything. <laughs> well, you said about it's bad enough having the heels win them to indifference. Also, by the way, I couldn't even tell the Miracle Violence connection were meant to be heels. Like, I don't even know if they were meant to be. But, like, for them to then do an interview afterwards over the PA, like, it's literally over the PA, and no one wants to stay and listen. Everyone's just hammering out those doors. Such bad booking. Like, forget the racism and the homophobia and the sexism and the anti-Semitism. Bill Watts could have been the nicest dude in the world, and I'd fucking sack him for that show. (laughs) Such a great roster, such great belts with such great lineage. And he manages to just give them no chance. Like everyone's putting on great matches and they can't entertain a crowd and it's him. You can't take something that, because a lot of people who were watching NWA probably kept watching WCW right until the end and then that was them finished with wrestling because any kind of connection to the NWA was the reason why, you know, 605 and stuff like that. You can't have someone come in, and Russo did it as well, and just turn an entire company upside down and make it unrecognisable. It feels like you're driving off your most hardcore loyal fans as well. Because it's exactly what you're doing. Like, I didn't really experience this as a child with the Bill Watts stuff, because as we've said, when you, you were little and you were in Britain like we were, you were getting whatever tapes you could get and you were seeing stuff out of sequence and different eras and what have you. But like, I remember vividly the Russo period starting and happening and I was one of those fans where it's just like well 
I don't watch WWE because I'm not into this shit. Like, why is my stuff now becoming like this? And that's when you do end up feeling offended and you feel like that kind of tribalism mentality. I'm not watching this fucking shit. I'm better than this. This isn't what I'm about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally get it. And I've got to say, one of the more funny uh, gaffes of the night is, uh, I believe it's during the, the first Rhodes and Wyndham match against uh, Stephen Rickwood, where... And, and WWF had never done this at this point either. They, they went for a double feature where they had a camera in camera replay. And as soon as they tried to do it, it was the last move of the match. So they had to immediately cut to both cameras being on the same move because they didn't have time to get away from the, the transition to get away from the double feature. And it just takes all the steam out of Jim Ross's commentary because he's trying to comment on the replay and the actual finish <laughs> of the match happens, but it's just... <laughs> like, I'd imagine Bill Watts threw his cowboy boot at whoever, uh, <laughs> Craig Levers or whoever, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's... Like I say, it's Great American Bash in name only, in the way that I couldn't really get into, like, Battle Bowl. Like, any established pay-per-views that mess with the format, um it kind of drives you away from it a little bit for me. And it's yeah, like it um, WrestleMania 4 with the tournament and uh, like Survivor Series once they started going away from the tag matches. But I think they also knew that, you know, they didn't have strong enough teams to really make a strong enough card, which is why you had to start putting in feuds and uh, undertake uh, like title matches and stuff like that. But um, I mean, do you think there's a reason why this was the last great American match for like three years? <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought about that, but why do you think you just killed the concept and never mind killed the town? Well, the, the, well, you know, you say kill the town. Also, I can't imagine that that great American Bash tour did very well. Um, you wouldn't have thought. No, I mean, uh, yeah, there's been reports and everything. Cornette does a masterful job of going through all the Bash tours, going through all the houses and stuff like that. You can't do what was shown early on on those tours was you couldn't do a tour without Ric Flair. Um, he was your draw. And even by 89 and 90, the, the bash tours were dying on their ass. And it was partly as well that they were going to cities like, you know, New York. They've got New York City, but they weren't running the garden. They were running like a high school gym down the road or something. You know, um, yeah. it was a mix of like venue choices and lack of talent, um, you know, it, like placed in the right positions. Um, and then probably lack of motivation and stuff like that. Because once you're on a guaranteed contract and you know you're going to get paid so much, no matter how well you perform, you know, I do understand why Bill Watts decided to cut contracts and that, but there's other ways probably to go about it to like incentivize. Yeah, like, like Fry was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other favorite things about the event is the poster where it looks like some kind of live aid charity poster with two hands. <laughs> with the globe. <laughs> it's like it's probably cheesy, piece. isn't it? It is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't get it. Is one hand meant to be Japanese and the other hand's American? I mean, there's, there's nobody who wants to reach out and help other countries less than Bill Watts as well. Like, <laughs> let's face it, he's not about to lead the locker room in a rousing rendition of We Are the World, is he? I would. That would have made the pay per view for me. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> have him well, have all the like the roster just swaying back and forth behind him. Who <laughs> oh, no. would have been the Bob Dylan, like just staring off into space, hating his life? 
Aye. <laughs> that, would, that might have been Ventura or something like that. Or, oh, no, the Steiners, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, what, sorry, because I, I don't want to leave this at all. So, like, what are your thoughts overall on the pay-per-view? I think it's a, one of those ones where you've got to be careful what you wish for, and it makes you expect understand and appreciate some of the gaga as uh, Patterson would put it because you actually yes you want to go to the more scientific style you want matches that are technically sound but you've got to have reasons for a crowd to care you've got to put teams over you know you you really need storylines and I mean there's stakes involved at least because it's over the NWA tag championships but as you say the total lack of urgency in the matches makes you even forget that those are the stakes at the end (laughs) and like you've said considering how good the storylines were on the Saturday night shows and on the worldwide shows uh, for them just to completely drop it for this concept of a pay-per-view just seems like a waste it's a real head scratcher um, so what what is the fallout from this pay-per-view? I honestly can't really remember. Like, those belts are unified, the Steiners go. I would have to go back and look further into it for what happens next because it's... Yeah, this was, like, one of the lowest grossing bashes they ever did, and I think a lot of that is after how shit the one was the year before. <laughs> but there's yeah. nothing in this that really made you, like, urgently want to go out and find out what happens next. Next thing I really remember is when Ron Simmons wins the World Championship. Yeah, um, and, and that was great as well. Uh, oh, it was. But it also makes you think, like, maybe they should have kept the belt on Vader a lot longer because he seemed like someone who would have been a draw as a champion. Um, but he's just but, trying to redo anything that worked 10, 20 years earlier, isn't he? Right, okay, I'll get a top black champion. That's different. Let's go. Yeah, and it wasn't even like they kept the belt on him. That's the thing with a lot, with a lot of those, like, early... Uh, title wins from black wrestlers people remember the win but they don't remember the rain um and it yeah. was almost like it was done for that piece of publicity um and maybe like you say for bill was to share it so uh, show look i'm not racist like you know ron simmons is my champion yeah whereas ron simmons seems to be like hmm about bill watts with uh, with hindsight <laughs> like i remember um, seeing ron simmons once be asked um was Bill Watts in the clan? <laughs> Ron Simmons said, well, I never saw the hood. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I mean, it is... When George Scott got brought in in, in 89 WCW, he brought in a lot of his mates from 79 who you still think would draw. Um, which do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Um I don't know, in a morbid way, actually, the <laughs> the Scott era, because there's that, it's just weird seeing some of those names. Remember all those <laughs> stuff that had been like proper edited and we hadn't seen before? Me and you were watching, just being like, what are some of these people still fucking doing going? <laughs> she can 89 and something else. Like <laughs> unreal, wasn't it? Wasn't he still there in 90? He might have been. Oh, yeah, his contract rolled over because they, they forgot. They forgot. <laughs> they forgot to renew it. Yeah, and that was, oh, God, how much is that? 200 grand a year? Something like that. Um, it's obscene. That's when, like, Missy Hyatt's contract, um, they forgot as well. And that went up. But and nothing against Missy Hyatt and stuff like that. But the argument was, yeah, but Bobby Eaton, um, who's, like, taking backdrops on the concrete and stuff like that, his FedEx would show up one time with his new contract, whereas they'd pay the Iron Sheik to sit at home and do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, can't, can't wait to delve into some Jim Hurd 
gorgeous. Oh, gone. that'll be some fun stuff. There's some great, great mental stoned up turds to watch there. <laughs> Speaking of stoned up turds, I have a question from one of our regular listeners that I was oh. meant to answer last time and I forgot. <laughs> this is from Bob, our beloved, beloved listener, Bob. Uh, you, you can probably answer this more hilarious than me. I've just heard about Drew McIntyre claiming a blunt sword on Raw was made of the tooth of the Loch Ness Monster. Obviously, you guys talked a bit about the crown and scepter that were used at King of the Ring. What do you think was the dumbest prop that was used badly? Oh, dumbest prop that was used badly. That's a, that is actually <laughs> a hard one. Um I mean, there's anything that comes to mind for you, I'm going to have to have a think. Because I've seen, being a WWF fan from the early 90s, I've seen a lot of dumb props used badly. <laughs> I think the dumbest, dumbest badly used prop is Mae Young giving birth to a hand. <laughs> what the fuck's dumber than that? That's fair or, enough. Or maybe the Viagra that was put on a pole in on uh, in WCW. I'm trying to think what event it was. Was it, was it in Super Brawl? It was in 2000, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. That fucking Viagra. <laughs> that could be the dumbest prop either. Russo says as well that he's only responsible for Mevy's five on a pole matches, even though he's like synonymous with on a pole <laughs> matches. But if you work with him, you can put in a pole match and no, you won't get the blame. <laughs> that is true. Oh, dumbest prop that was used badly. Um it's hard to say. And, and I don't want it to be dead air. Um oh I've I've got it. Uh, Hulk Hogan's war bonnet. Do you remember that? Oh, you've just given me another one. Sorry, Hulk Hogan's what? War bonnet. Uh, do you remember that from 89, 88? It was like a... <laughs> no. It was like a painted red metallic motorbike helmet um, with a big fist on the front. Why? <laughs> well, it was Hogan's idea, apparently. And Vince, years later, like on a um, on that Canadian show, um, off the record, um I think he gets asked what's one of Hogan's most stupid ideas, and he was like, "Yeah, the war bonnet." And <laughs> it's easy to understand why. But yeah, well, he had a, he had a dumber one. Hogan Go has on. gone dumber than that. And you've yeah. seen this as well, but you will have blanked this from your memory. Hulk Hogan's Hall of Fame ring given Abyss magical powers. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. That's got to be the. Let's say the prop itself's not dumb initially, but fuck me, the application of it is. <laughs> Oh, and then, oh God, there's so many more than didn't um, <laughs> didn't Santino Morella stop playing like a, one of those lutes or something? Oh, the snake charming flute. The, I've actually seen charming. that. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. But oh, was this... he playing it? Was, didn't, didn't they get somebody who had some kind of Asian like, oh, I think they did, background to do it? It was, it, it was somewhat racist because it was like an American <laughs> or Canadian wrestler who had like Indian family. They were like second or third gen. It might have been Jinder Mahal, you know, now that I mention it, because I'm sure he's Canadian. And then it's like, oh, it's, oh, no, but he's a bit brown, so he can obviously charm snakes and has a flute with him. You're like, oh, fuck off. That's just disgusting. <laughs> well, I think in terms of the main event, um, to, you know, uh, definitely, like, putting a gimmick on top of a gimmick and all that kind of stuff. Hogan, I don't know what he was thinking with that one. They're going to make a figure of it, I guarantee you, and I'll buy That's it. probably what he was thinking. Yeah, that's true. And I'm a fucking hypocrite because I will buy that figure. But um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now so they just need one of like Abyss kneeling down to receive the fucking ring and that. <laughs> like a little <laughs> drama scene box set that you can buy. Iconic moments that made you hate wrestling. Well, wasn't this around the time that uh, Matt Morgan stole Hogan's uh, 70s cape as well? 
Yeah, he did. And he was calling them Thunderlips all the time. And he kept coming out doing promos going, another Hogan mistake. And I was like, mate, you're just pointing out how bad it is at the minute. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, what have we got coming up? Next up, we will be doing our country fried um, in your house, in your house too. Yeah. Because I'll, uh, I'll yeah. get you excited. And uh, I guess we're then heading into SummerSlam territory after that. So we could we could hop over the wall to the other side in 92 and we could uh, do SummerSlam in Wembley because that's exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't think you could get more two diverse shows from the same time period than uh, <laughs> Great America mm. Bash 92 and SummerSlam 92. Uh, and we've also got Super Bowl 2000 coming up as well. <laughs> oh, there's, there's so much good stuff. I've got sold out 2000. I've got... Oh man! If if you oh no, this sold out two thousand, isn't it? Yeah, God, um, it is. I yeah. Um, if you don't know, and you've just been listening to our oldie stuff, we've got another oldie show starting that's not quite as oldie. So we've already recorded one. So as you'll hear me speak in the future about this moment now, because I'm very <laughs> easily confused. We um we'll be starting out with Royal Rumble two thousand, and then we're going to go through the year two thousand, looking at each WWF and WCW pay per view in a row while we scatter around giving you just random mental shows for our other show like this. And I guarantee you've never heard them reviewed like this. Um, to, <laughs> I would to guarantee. said Raji's uh, talking about wrestling. <laughs> you know, not just um, like explaining move for move, everything that's went on. Um, the, the least smart, smart fans. That's definitely us. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're not, like, analysing in that way. We're kind of uh, just having fun with it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can still have fun with even an absolute fucking turd sandwich like Great American Bash 92 um, and find the fun in it. You know, we don't whinge all the time, I I swear. Just a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But, look, thank you very much for uh, tuning into this episode. It's, uh, It's good. Well, that's the thing. Being from two sides of the you know, track in terms of like what we really, really like, you know, WWF and WCW basically. Um, not that we just hate everything WWF and WCW from either side as well, but it is good to be like, you know, like asked to watch an event I've never watched before, uh, even from a time period that I'm like even remotely familiar with and stuff like that. So it's it's a, definitely a, a learning thing for me to be able to, you know, put things into context and, uh, understand as well because you know you've said yourself that WCW gets an unfair amount of flack from people who've never watched it. And to, to be fair, so does some of the WWF stuff that you're into. Yeah. Like I've seen so many, I'd say articles, but they're just fucking lists of numbers of like reasons why people hate shows. I know you're passionate about, and you have a look at it, and you're like, "Have you even fucking watched that show?" Like nothing that you're saying yeah matches up with what actually happened. People mm. just regurgitate opinions they've heard to sound smart and shit on stuff that everybody shits on. So it's like, hmm. And that's certainly not what we're about. So, you know, we want to thank everyone for tuning into this one as well, because it just shows you as well that there's nothing off limits that we won't, uh, that we won't look <laughs> at. So, uh, yeah, uh, anything you want to close with before? Someone's doing the gardening outside, so that's getting annoying. Um, <laughs> no, I just want to go and get me bit now, so <laughs> I'm ready to run. <laughs> See, there's the realism that you won't get on, you know, other shows. We're just hungry, <laughs> and it's too warm, and I want to sleep with the fan on us, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, put, uh, watch some more wrestling, basically, because um, 
that's basically how I spend most of my life, as as same with Tempest as well. So yes, thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of Turntrickle on BBGWrestling.com and we will be back very soon. Peace.